Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. Uh, today I'm going to be doing a ride cast on Fat Biking the Petit Train de Nall, which I did during my March break, uh, which is the one week break that teachers get and I guess students get uh, here in Canada. Uh, my original plan was to ride the Route Blanche in the far east of the Quebec, and uh, unfortunately that fell through due to warmer weather. Um, I think it's just, you know, these warm weather, this warmish weather that we had all winter just kind of let it let it so that the ice didn't really freeze well. And uh, they just did not open the ice road or large sections of it um, just for safety reasons. And that basically kiboshed that whole plan. And so I decided after exploring multiple other options and shooting out some messages, I thought, you know, what, let's do the Petit Trains and all. It's a super nice route. Um and just see how far I can go and if I can, you know, do an out and back of whatever distance. Um, so the plan was to ride from my cousin's house directly in Boisbriand because it's like 10 kilometers from the rail trail. Um, and uh, then just to start heading north. So what I used for this ride, I used my Panorama Shikshox carbon fat bike. Um and by my, I mean it was uh, given to me for the winter by Panorama, and it was amazing to use. So that is what I used. Um, it runs with a 1x12 XT group set. It's got 27.5x4.5 inch tires, which I've added studs to. Um, I switched up the hand grips for some Wolf Tooth Fat Paw grips. I like them a lot. Um, I'd like to try them on a few other bikes too, just to see how it feels and stuff. But uh, typically, I've I've gone with Ergon GP3s, uh, GP3s or GP1s. Anyways, the large Ergon grips that have a nice big flat area for your palms, and they're super cozy. But uh, yeah, these are pretty good. I really liked them actually. Um, sometimes my palms felt a little bit pressed, you know, like I was just pushing too hard in the handlebars. But it could just be the handlebars themselves. So. I know my buddy Alex, he took his panorama and he put a longer stem on it and changed the handlebars to like some of those um, back curve type ones, like the Jones loop bar or something. Not sure what handlebars he uses, but um, he said it's really, really improved everything, his comfort and stuff. Uh, On the back of the bike, I used a, oh, I forget what brand of rack it is, but I borrowed it from my buddy, uh, Gene Villeneuve, and I put uh, two Ortlieb um, top roller or roll top panniers, the small ones, the ones that you typically have on the front of your bike. I use those. I sold the large ones last year, so I only have the small ones now. And, um, 
I guess I could go through what I had in the panniers um, in general. I think this list is not 100% comprehensive, but for the most part, I had my fleece sleeping bag liner, air mattress, camp booties, inflatable pillow, down hood, which is like, imagine if you cut the hood off of a jacket, it's just a little down hood you can wear, and a micro towel. So that's what I had in one of the panniers. It might have been a couple of little things thrown in there. Um, and then the second one I had freeze-dried meals. I think it was two breakfasts, three suppers. I had, I forget, there were some pieces of clothing in there at the bottom. Uh, don't know why, but there were. Um, first aid kit. And I had a bike lock. I, I actually brought a pretty good bike lock because I wasn't sure what situation I'd be in if I needed to go somewhere and leave the bike. And I figured the little tiny cable lock I usually carry when bikepacking Maybe not the best thing. So I took, I did take a big lock. Um, on top of the rack, I had a dry bag that had a, a Canadian Forces sleeping bag in it. Um, just the inner, uh, not the both layers, but I mean, the inner and the outer are basically identical in the Canadian Army. So maybe just, uh, you know, that that's how much trust they have in us uh, to put them in the right order. I guess they just make two of the same and give you those and uh, say one's an inner, one's an outer. Um but anyways, I borrowed it from my brother. I used uh it was super good. It was great. Like I mean, I used them lots before when I was in the army years ago and um yeah, they're a warm sleeping bag, so never got cold. Um on top of that, what else did I have? I had a, a restrap long race top tube bag, so the top tube bag that's for it's like long. It's like 50 centimeters long or something. Maybe not that long. Um and in it, I had a backup light. So I, I did have a battery powered. Oh, so the battery of the light I was using that's attached to my handlebars uh, was in the top of that bag at the front, I should say. Then I had two 10,000 milliamp batteries, a 5,000 milliamp battery, a tire pressure gauge, and a backup light just in case um, I ended up doing more night riding than I expected or needed for some reason, whatever. But I, I bar- basically didn't use lights almost at all on the whole trip. Uh I was using my old Blackburn Outpost Elite frame bag. Actually fits that fat bike really well. Uh, basically takes up almost all the space. And in it, uh, what the one thing that's decent about it, although the the whole Velcro divider thing is not great, but it does have two pocket areas basically. And uh, in the bottom, I had like tools, and maintenance stuff. I had to, I had a camp light. Um, once again, if if I was going to be sitting around, I could use that rather than burn the lights on my bike. Um, <clears throat> I had the inners for my outdoor research gloves that I was, uh, that I was wearing most time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I also had a toque or headband, whatever one I wasn't wearing, uh, when I was riding during the day, just kind of stuffed in there. Some really easy access as well as a few Insta 360 accessories. So I was carrying a little tripod. I was carrying, um, that little extension handle that comes with it. The invisible extension handle, they call it. And uh, the little extension that would hook on when you have it on your helmet, um, although I didn't use it. Oh, actually, I did use it a little bit on my handlebars. I don't think it was great for that, though. But anyways, um, that is what I had in there. Um, also carried, I was also using the two restrap feed bags I have. And for those, basically just carrying my water bottles because I didn't have real estate for water bottles because of the frame bag. <clears throat> And I knew the weather wasn't going to be super cold, so it was kind of perfect just to use water bottles. Um, and in the little side pockets there, I had a knife, cable lock um, for, for locking my bike on shorter, less sketchy places. 
um, and a little bottle of noon tablets, which I think I used on a couple occasions. Um, yeah, I also had an Osprey 2.5 liter water bladder uh, under my jacket that probably had like a one and a half liters of water in it. And I didn't use it much. Um, probably didn't really need it on this occasion. I had it just in case. Um, actually, it did come in handy once when I wanted to cook and I had no water left. So that wasn't bad. Uh, actually, no, I lied. I used snow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really didn't use it much at all. Um, what else? I used the, I borrowed from my buddy Alex, the same guy I said had his panorama. Um, I borrowed his, what turned out to be his wife's Atwater Atelier Marauder front bag. And for the main reason for that was I didn't really want to use the dry bag type stuff, for like front roll. Um, I don't think they're the greatest. You know, I used it for my trip across Canada. I think that was the last time I used that big stuff bag. Um, it's just a pain because you're always trying to cram it as tight and clip roll it as tight as you can and just hammering it down and... And I saw, I went on an overnighter with my buddy Alex and he has a front bag on his that's very similar. I think the Swift Industries one. And I just watched how easily he took stuff in and out of his bag. And I was like, oh my God, I need that. And um, yeah, so I asked him if I could borrow one and he said, yeah, try it out. And um, it was awesome. I think I think I hadn't even started the trip. I was still in Bois-Briand just kind of packing some things away or something, or maybe I was at home in my garage and I was like, dude, this bag is awesome. Um, I just loved how easily it was, how easy it was to pack stuff in there. And, um, and it's like a black hole. Like you could just stuff stuff in there. It was great. Um, so in there I had some extra clothing. I had my outdoor research Pertex insulated jacket. It's pretty old. It's pretty beat up. My wife doesn't really let me wear it in public too much anymore. It's got a few patches on it here and there. Um, but it's warm and it's great for an adventure like this. On top of that, the little side pockets were packed with snacks. I had um, sour wine gums. Alex got me on those again. Um, chocolate covered almonds, some peanut, but I forget what it's called, but it was from Bulk Barn. It was peanut butter trail mix. Um, there were like little, oh, all kinds of goodies. It was, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, bag of jujubes probably more stuff those pockets could hold a lot and they were pretty packed oh i had actually it was um yeah there was more there was the um oh my god what do you call them some of the companies sell them the nice ones though um these were from costco they're like the little belgian wafer things um kind of like a little waffle but it's dry and there's like a caramel in the middle but in the winter they're super hard that's like eating eating rocks but once it melts in your mouth it's pretty sweet so I had a pack of those in there, or part of a pack, maybe like six or seven of those. Um, yeah, what else? I had cargo cages on the front of the bike. So one of them had an Outdoor Research Helium Vivi in it, and the other one had my cook stuff. So I was using a MSR Pocket Rocket 2 stove and pot set, the, the single-person pot set that holds a small gas canister. Unfortunately, I went and bought a large gas canister uh, for something else and decided, you know what? Just gonna pack that. I don't care. I don't. I'm not looking to be like super. Um, it doesn't matter if it takes a little more space. And um, yeah, inside the pod is where I keep things like the the little pot gripper, my lighter, um, obviously the the stove itself, uh, salt and salt and chili flakes, and I forget a little thing of oil maybe I have in there, and um, a fire starter sparker thingy. Um, 
just in case something happens in my lighter and it stops working. And as well as a little pack of cutlery, um, like the plastic spoon on one side, fork on the other thing. Um, yeah, so that was that. Uh, I could talk about what clothing I was wearing too. Man, I can go on all day on this. I was wearing a soft shell jacket. It's a pretty light one with a mountain hardware hard shell jacket over top just to keep off the bad weather. Uh, after doing the Wendigo, I learned my lesson. No more insulated jackets under my hard shell. So no down jacket, no down vest uh, or fake down, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> what do they call that fake down now? They, they, oh, I saw a stupid name for it. Um, vegan down. So yeah, just say fake down. Um, I had a pair of bib shorts and a pair of beneath underwear that have a chamois built right into them. And they were awesome. So I really like these Beneath ones. Obviously, I'm not sponsored by them or anything. It's just uh, I remember um, Steve O'Shaughnessy from My Back 40 talking a lot about the Saks underwear. And then I found out about these Beneath ones, which are very similar, but they're from Canada. And they make them with a chamois. And I was like, oh, that has to be awesome. And they were on sale. And I think I paid like 40 bucks for them, which is fantastic for any any chamois piece of equipment. Um yeah, so I used those, and then some days I had the, the bib shorts on. I also had uh, fleece-lined running pants. That's what I was wearing over everything, and when needed, which turned out to be most of the days, my uh, mech Gore-Tex overpants that I got for free uh, through my local community here in Chelsea, uh, they're slightly too large, so what I'd have to do is I'd have to like pull the pants up. Like It's just the waistband thing. Um, pull them up slightly, and then roll them inwards into whatever pants I was wearing. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, it worked. Whatever. Um, for underneath the fleece line pants, I actually had a pair of merino long underwear in case I needed them, but I didn't use them until I think. Um, I think I used them one of the days, but anyways, yeah. Um, I was also using forty five North Wolfhammer boots. Uh, that's the clipless ones, and uh, huge game changer. I wish I would have had them set up clipless on the uh, the Wendigo, but we're not talking about the Wendigo anymore, so. Um, yeah, I had them set up now and really great. Um, can't, can't speak highly enough about them. Um, I, I get naturally cold feet. So I would say typically even that, like the one day it was minus five and I was out for like, I think what happens, I got a bit wet, uh, maybe anyways, or it could have been just sweat from the day before or something. Anyways, my, my feet started getting cold by later in the day, but that'd been hours and hours of, of riding. So not the end of the world, and I definitely could, if I was going to be out longer in colder weather, I'd have a, a liner sock as well, a thin liner, and then maybe even a, uh, an impermeable membrane, like a plastic bag or, um, what do they call those, uh, liner socks, yeah. Um, so anyways, I was also using, for gloves, as, as I mentioned earlier with the liners, I was using the Outdoor Research High Camp Three Finger Gloves. Uh, these came highly recommended to me from Brockton when I was looking at first getting the 45 North ones. Uh, one of the guys there at Brockton said, hey, man, I recommend you get the outdoor research ones. He's like, they're cheaper. In my opinion, they're better. Uh, one thing I really like about them is they have that little daisy chain that you can put over your wrist and cinch up. And when you take your glove off, you just let it go and it just hangs and you don't drop it in the snow and stuff. So huge fan of that. Um yeah, the last thing I guess is my helmet. I was using the Blivet Cole helmet with the blue lens and really liked it. But I think 
maybe there's something wrong with that one lens. I feel like it was rubbing a little bit. So, and then I looked at the top of the lens. It's all, it's got a whole bunch of fine scratches just after four days of use. Uh, so I definitely have to reach out to the company, but it could be just a, you know, random manufacturing, uh, inconsistency or something, you know, I'm sure it doesn't happen all the time. I don't think I've noticed it on my other two lenses. All right, time to talk about the ride. So as I mentioned, I started in Boisbriand at my cousin's house. And um, I I could say day one, I rode from Boisbriand all the way to Saint uh, to Val David, sorry. But I'll break it down in sections. So getting to Saint Therese, Saint Therese is where the rail trail starts. Actually, sorry, not the rail trail per se, but the trail along the side of the rail. Um, so... From Saint the the train still goes all the way to Saint Jerome. It's from there that it stops. So getting to Saint Jerome, you're usually skirting the railway on a uh, like community path. So yeah, getting started wasn't great. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do. It was just skirting the highway, a couple of overpasses and stuff like that, just to get around things because it's a pretty busy area. But wasn't too bad. And then when I got to Saint Therese, I could make my way to Saint Janvier. Now the reason I put Saint Janvier in there is because when you hit Saint Janvier, Janvier, like January, uh, they stopped the trail. So I'll get to that in a second. But in Old Saint Therese, there's a really good pizza shop. I don't know the name of it, but uh, you can't miss it. And um, yeah, I had some pizza, and it was right around lunchtime because I got to my cousin's house at like. 10 30 or something i didn't get on the road until like 11 or 11 15 anyways i got on the pathway uh it follows all the way to saint jerome but i'm pretty annoyed when i got to saint janvier as i mentioned and realized that you know the path just ends i like i was going up along the trail uh along the rail line and all of a sudden boom it was a wall of like six feet of snow and apparently from what i heard it's because further up there's a bunch of uh, snowmobile trails that crisscrossed that path and for liability reasons they decided they just decided that their saying that their little village is i don't know seven kilometers of pathway they're just not going to groom it in the winter and hikers walkers bikers skiers be damned they can uh they can go to hell i guess anyways but most of the pathways there is all really plowed so it's not like yeah sorry you can't ski it it's all basically pavement or ice um and then that section wasn't done so that's unfortunate it's kind of a a loss on them because they would probably attract a lot more people at doing uh adventures and stuff if they just took care of their groom their paths and but uh yeah so i have i have a thing about the snowmobile sections it just doesn't make sense to me but anyways i was stuck following highway 117 to saint jerome for about 10 kilometers i think i could have been less but I didn't realize it and I kind of bypassed right where I would have liked to go to. So coming back the other way uh, a few days later, I definitely went as far as I could possibly go um, on the on the actual rail trail. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, riding along the highway sucked. It was, uh, it was wet snow day. It was kind of one of those days where as soon as the snow hits you, it melts. And that just meant like wet clothes and everything, lots of water and wet and crap on the roads, spray from the trucks and stuff. Um, Not fun, but luckily it wasn't too long. It was 10 kilometers or so, and that's, you know, on the highway you're going pretty quick, so half an hour, you know, 40 minutes maybe. Um, 
yeah, getting Saint Jerome, so kilometer zero of the actual Petit Trains now. Um, you know, it's not busy. It's winter. It's it's kind of like I don't know. It's hard to explain it. It's really, really uh, anticlimactic in sense of being there. Where in the summer when you're there, it's like cafes and communities and music and everything. Um, yeah, this this time kilometer zero is just quiet. You know, there is a cafe there, but it's everybody's inside, obviously. Anyways, um, it goes for 42 kilometers until you reach Val David, which is really sweet. Uh, the conditions were fantastic. The the grooming was great. Um, for the most part, I could ride on the left side of the trail uh, where bikers and walkers are meant to be, except uh, sometimes it narrowed for no particular reason. Sometimes it narrowed because it was a little bridge and the trail wasn't really wide enough to have a walking area. There were never any signs to indicate this, and I guess you're just expected to cross over the ski track grooming um, to ride in the middle, and that's what I did. But I tried to I tried to minimize my over and across the groomed trails as much as possible because I hate destroying the the classic ski, you know, the the cut in tracks. Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Chocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Um, also, one other thing that was really weird with the Petit Trains and all is the technical quote-unquote bike section. Um, it wasn't always flat feeling, so sometimes it felt like it had a slight angle to it, maybe just the way the groomer didn't lower the blade enough or something. And so after a long while of riding on a slight angle, it was really starting to get annoying, and so I tended to just stick to the middle more, especially if there was nobody else around and I wasn't disturbing and I kept a close eye on what kind of uh, impact my tires were having on the trails just to kind of make sure that I wasn't like sinking in too much. But for the most part, that wasn't a case, especially in these first two days, because it was quite, uh, the snow was still quite firm. Um, yeah, where was I? Oh, yeah, I met some really cool people along the way. So on the uh, on the first day, just near St. Adele, I met this girl named Chantal. And I don't know how we got to talking, but I think I was just, uh, I was tired of being quiet all day. I hadn't talked to anybody in hours, and um, I don't know, I probably said hi or something. Anyways, um, yeah, super nice girl. Like, she was from Toronto area, I think, and basically just moved there because she loved St. Adele and the whole area, and... Uh, we talked about skiing and biking and the whole entire stupidity of, you know, snowmobile sections on the Petit Trains and all on a green route in Quebec that promotes active use and then it's closed to pedestrians but only for snowmobiles. 
I shall go on more about that later, I am sure. Uh, she was actually really, really kind, offered me a place to stay, but I still wanted to ride at least another 10 kilometers. I think I had like 10 or 15 kilometers to get to Val David. Um, she did give me her contact in case of emergency. I told her I was sleeping outside. She's like, well, if you hear a bunch of coyotes or wolves and you get freaked out, give me a call. So it was really nice of her. And um, So Chantal, if you do hear this, thank you for your time and your conversation. And um, yeah, it was really nice to, to meet to meet you. Um, reaching Dal, Dal, Val David, I got there around 6 p.m. Um, you know, one of the really nice things of the Petit Trains and all is the rail stations along the way are all used for different things. Sometimes they're restaurants, sometimes they're like, um, I think in Prevost, uh, it's a Petit Trains and all info center and stuff like that. So, really kind of neat. And in Val David, it's um, part of it is an info booth for information on the Petit Trains and all. There's also public washrooms. And then the rest of the area was made into a change area for skaters because they have an outdoor rink on their premises. And so they got the whole rubberized floor thing. And, you know, I was eating dinner outside and I saw this and I was like, huh. And I, that night I had freeze-dried lasagna, which was really awesome. Uh, it didn't look like lasagna, but it tasted like lasagna. So that's what mattered. And uh, when I went to the washroom, like around 7 p.m., I thought, hey, wait, this could be the perfect place to sleep. So I don't have to, like, go find somewhere else to, to camp. And uh, thus, I decided to go to the bar and have a pint of beer and uh, put some stuff near something warm to dry because all that wet snow all day had kind of soaked my gloves. And I don't know why I didn't bring my pogies. I don't know why I didn't have the pogies on the bike. I just thought, oh, it's going to be so nice out. I don't need pogies. And uh, for the most part, I didn't. But. They would have kept my hands dry. Um, at around 10 p.m., I went back to the station, went inside, set up, had a sweet sleep. At like 4.30, the cleaner came in and was really shocked to see me. We had a we had a short discussion, but he didn't really care otherwise. And then at like 7 or 7.30 or whatever it was, the school crossing guard came in to unlock the building. And they were like, oh, it's unlocked. Uh, maybe the cleaner forgot. And I had already packed up everything, so it just looked like I had my bike in there and I was eating breakfast and... I didn't say anything otherwise. So I was just like, yeah, let them think what they want. Um, yeah, I think for breakfast that day, I had this weird like egg scramble thing. And my biggest mistake with these freeze-dried food is I put too much water too soon, I think. I, I followed the instructions, but I think they're always too much water. So I would suggest always putting like, let's say, 80% of the water it asks for let it sit it's 10-15 minutes and then take a look and if it's a little bit too dry you can add a little bit more and give it a mix and like let it sit for a few more minutes you know um that'd be my huge recommendation because i had a few meals that were not a few a couple of times they were a little bit liquidy um yeah so i leaving val david i was heading towards uh la concepcion this is day two um there was about two kilometers of groomed trail which was super nice especially early in the morning and then uh, you hit the unauthorized skidoo trail. I mean, sorry, it is an authorized skidoo trail. It's unauthorized for, for pedestrians to be on it. Um, but, you know, I I figured it was snowing again. It was kind of that shitty, gross kind of wet, snowy stuff. And I wasn't thrilled to go back on the highway. And I knew that it was about three kilometers to a point where I could get off the trail and follow a, a side road until I reached Tim Hortons. 
And then if I liked it, I could stay on for like another six, seven kilometers to get to the Tim Hortons via the rail trail. So I decided to go for that few kilometers. And surprisingly, it wasn't too bad at all. It was pretty firm. Uh, Unlike most times, particularly on the sides away from where the skidoos ride. But it was definitely slower. So I was probably averaging. Actually, I did average in those 30 kilometers that I actually did in the end. I averaged about 10 kilometers an hour. And it was tough work. So I rode that 10 kilometers to get to the Timmies. Um, It wasn't open except for the drive-through because of lack of employees. A big problem in Canada right now. Um, So I got a couple of wraps, ate them down. And then I rode up the road to this place called Couleur Café. So Color Café. And they are a coffee roaster and make really nice coffee. So I actually sat there for like an hour, an hour and a bit, and just chilled out and uh, enjoyed a couple nice coffees. Um, Leaving there, I decided to go back to the Skidoo section because it was nice and uh, make my way all the way to St. Faustin, which is uh, the end of the Skidoo section, which actually has been recently renamed Mont Blanc. So they renamed their entire town because it sounds more attractive to tourists. Because Saint-Faustin doesn't sound that attractive. But Mont Blanc. Man, I've heard of another one that's pretty epic. So, um, Yeah, so just before reaching Saint-Faustin, there was actually a, a gate to stop the skidoos. And I, like, I had to basically push my bike around the gate. And that's when the downhill was kind of starting. Actually, no, this downhill kind of started a couple kilometers before that. And it was these really crazy rollers because it wasn't the official skidoo trail. And so they don't groom it. And it was just this like non-stop rolling it was like i guess just rollers it was super fun though and it went on for two or three kilometers before i hit the gate reached the gate i didn't hit it and then leaving there i think maybe it was like two more kilometers of downhill on snowshoe trail they'd only been packed by snowshoe but it was super fun and i didn't crash so that's what matters and getting down to the old station in saint faustin there's a, a little cafe on the side um, on the street corner and I stopped there and had a big long rest and ate some good food um, I don't remember what I ate but I remember it was delicious and um, yeah when it was time to go I got up and to um, <laughs> make it sound so in depth I, I took off and I rode all the way to Mont Tremblant which basically was like 10 kilometers of downhill um I mean, bear in mind, coming the other way, it's 10 kilometers of uphill, which is a long climb. Uh, but it is rail trail, so it's not extremely steep. But when you're going downhill for 10 kilometers on rail trail, it is wicked fun, especially on a fat bike, because uh, it's just it's just, it's just undescribable. Um, I was probably averaging like 20, 25 kilometers an hour for those 10K. It was, it was fast. Um, and most of the time, I was just kind of like taking it easy and just enjoying myself. Um, I didn't hang around much in Mont Tremblant, though. I just kind of rode through. I had the idea of reaching La Belle, which was like another 20 kilometers away. Uh, was it 20? No, it was more than 20 from there. Sorry. I Leaving Mont Tremblant, I rode up to towards uh, Lac Moor, which is where uh, Lac Mercier is. So the lake is Lake Mercier, and there was a little town called Lac Moor. And, but now I noticed signs there that say Mont Tremblant Village and stuff, so I think they're also identifying as Tremblant. Uh, I guess even villages can identify as, I don't know, I guess they just giving themselves whatever name they want to make dollars. Um, anyways, I decided to keep pushing for Labelle from that point, which was about 20 kilometers away, but 
once I reached La Concepcion, which is actually the part where uh, the Canadian Shield bikepacking route comes onto that rail trail, uh, their grooming was no longer... It, not to say it wasn't groomed ever, they hadn't been grooming it. So I could see that it had been taken care of at some point. It was definitely better than what I saw like at Saint-Janvier way the day before. But because it had been raining the last hour and it was just, it was gross. I, you, couldn't, you couldn't get traction. I would have probably had to drop my PSI to like one. And I didn't really need to go to La Belle. Like the only reason I was going to go to La Belle is because there was a restaurant there and a shower, uh, and a, like a 25 cents for two minutes shower. But otherwise I didn't need to do it. So I was like, you know what? I could just stay here at La Concepcion. Concepcion has an old train station, which is more like a hut. It's it's got four walls and a roof, but there's a huge doorway and a huge window that are fully open and exposed. Um, it's got benches in it. It's kind of one of those stations where when you hear the train coming, you go stand outside and wave at the train, and they stop for you. That's like that's how small town a small a town it is. So at La Concepcion, I decide you know what? I'm just going to leave the path, walk through this like near like knee high snow, get into this little cabin, and. Uh, set up for the night so I, I found a plastic bag uh, like a uh, liquor store bag and I, I kind of wiped all the rocks off the crowd, the concrete there and just kind of cleared the place a bit and I put my bike in one corner so that the, the snow could drip off of it it was above zero and um, yeah I proceeded to, to boil some snow get some warm water so I could kind of rinse myself and give myself a, a little uh, bike packer bath with a, with a face cloth I had and um yeah put on some fresh clothes set up my spot everything it was really sweet i uh i had for i forget what i ate that night but yeah, it was relatively good i think it was pad thai uh, i was just trying to try a whole bunch of different things and yeah it was delicious uh met a ukrainian mother and daughter they, she was teaching her how to cross-country ski well talk to them from a distance i didn't want to trudge through the snow so i, I heard them talking and said hi because i speak russian and we had a little conversation. It was nice. And they kept on with their thing. And I went to sleep for the night. Woke up at around 2. I feel like it was 2. Maybe 12.30 at night. I mean, I went to bed early because, once again, like, what do you do when it's getting down to minus 5 outside and you're sitting there bundled up in your jacket and there's nobody to talk to. So you just climb into your bivy and go to sleep. Um, I got up around 12.30, I think. Maybe it was 2 o'clock. I don't remember. But I heard wolves howling in the distance. And with a little moment of paranoia, I kind of got up, took my bike, and propped it in the doorway so it mostly blocked the doorway. I mean, not that that's going to stop some wolves, but, you know. Um, and then I went back to sleep and slept all night, so it was kind of pointless. But <laughs> it was kind of funny that I, I felt the need to get up and <laughs> put my bike in a doorway and think that that would stop a wolf or a pack, for that matter. Um, anyways, getting up in the morning, I had uh, I had some oatmeal. That was like one of those freeze-dried meals. Actually, it was really good. It was like peanut butter and banana. Um, you know, you just got to follow the instructions. And I was rolling by 8 a.m. and got back to uh, Lac Mercier and decided to do the 5K detour into Montremblanski village where I could uh, get a proper coffee and, uh, you know, do a little bit of exploration of the village on bicycle, which is kind of fun. Uh, in the Starbucks, I met a bunch of teachers who were on spring break uh, with their kids and stuff and started talking about biking and 
the one lady started telling me she she makes bike packing bags for her brother and now she's making some that she sells and stuff and her name was Jocelyn Buggy and uh, I forget her brother's first name but anyways obviously his last name's Buggy and uh, so if yeah if you're interested check out Treadle to Pedal on Instagram T R E A D L E to Pedal and um, yeah check out her bags and gear she makes which is pretty cool she's made she even made like her ski jacket and stuff so like really skilled um yeah after that after leaving starbucks i biked all the way to the top of the village so where you can walk and stuff you know people are walking and whatnot and you can actually bike up there so i biked up uh probably half a kilometer or so and then you get to where the big lifts are and then when you're you're, i was there i was skiing I i was riding and all of a sudden i saw there was a ski slope it's like the village inner village ski slope that you can ski down through the village and so I fat biked it and it was wicked fun and I videoed it and wish I uh, I kind of wish I would have climbed up there and did it one more time because it was it was that much fun um yeah so that was uh that was my morning and the rest of the day god I gotta be honest day three here it seemed to go by really slowly um the day started off, the snow was crisp and stuff. It was great until I got to Trombla. But by the time I left there, it was getting warm out and it was starting to get softer and softer. And it was just work, you know. Like, I was lucky, though, going down to Mont Tremblant town from the village or from uh, Lac Mercier, I should say. Um, a lot of downhill, so it wasn't too bad. But then you start that climb up to St. Faustin and it is a long 10 kilometers in soft snow. And hard work and finally when I reached St. Faustin I decided you know what I well there was a couple of reasons but I decided that I would take the roads instead of the skidoo section one big one was I never mentioned it but when I took the skidoo section last time the first time on day two the previous day um 30 kilometers I saw four was it four six six Skidoo's the entire 30 kilometers. That was in three hours. That's basically nothing. One person kind of gave me the hand that goes, hey, what do you think you're doing? Uh, a couple people gave me thumbs up. One guy told me, uh, t'es brave, mon chum. Like, my man, you're brave. You're brave, my man. And um, and that was about it. That was all the people I saw. And But this time, this day, it was nice out. It wasn't rainy. It wasn't shitty. Um, I thought, you know what, there might be a lot more skidoers out there, and they might be going faster. I was lucky once. Maybe I won't be lucky twice. And I also wanted to explore the, the roads between these two sections of uh, groom trails because I wanted to see if it's possible to link it up and if it works as make, you know, to make a fat bike route along the Petit Trains and all that I could add to the Bikepack Adventures website, which I think I'm going to do. Um, I think it's fantastic, fantastic adventure. So anyways, I could talk more about that later. But anyways, those roads were tough. Like there was a lot of downhills coming from north to south. Um, bear in mind going the other way, you're going to have a lot of uphill. But like some of those inside roads too, like you're going down and then you start climbing up and then you're going down and then up, you know, like huge rollers. One of them destroyed me. I had to get off my bike and even like, I was so tired at that point. I was just like, you know, I'm going to walk for a minute just to the top of this crest. And, uh, of course, that's when a car drove by laughing at me. (laughs) 
said I'm using the bike wrong. I'm meant to pedal. Uh, jerk. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so eventually I was in, uh, what was I? Where was I? I was in Saint Adele. No, sorry, Saint Agathe. Uh, after coming off those back roads and stuff, just coming through town, and I decided to stop for Subway, just a simple meal, not too expensive. And then a few kilometers later, I'd be in Val David, where I could uh, grab some snacks at the grocery store and then set up shop inside that train station again, same as night number one. Unfortunately, as luck would be against me, the building was locked. They had a sign out saying, skating rink closed for the season because the weather was so crap. And uh, so that was not going to be my sleeping spot. And But I did know that, you know, um, just a bit before, um, let me see here. I got to get my notes in place here. Just before I met Chantal on day one, there was a, there was a ski cabin off in the woods. It was called the Relais Père Eddie. And I remembered that that was there and I knew it was about, I think it was kilometer 29, 28. So it was about 12 kilometers, 13 kilometers, maybe 14 from where I was in uh, Val David. So I thought, you know what? Sun's not down yet. It's like 6 p.m. I've got about an hour or so. Maybe it was 6.30. I think sun was up till 7.30. So I decided to hammer it out. And I knew it was a lot of downhill. So I was just cruising. And the, the snow was getting crisp again. It was nighttime. Uh, it was fast. It was fun. And uh, I just pushed it. Pushed it good until I uh, until I reached the Relay Peretti. And... Uh, yeah, I had a good night's sleep in there. So, you know, there's an outhouse there. There's garbage cans outside there. There was a fireplace inside, but no wood to burn. So that was unfortunate. Um, big metal benches. That's where I put my uh, my sleeping bag and air mattress and everything and slept on. And super comfy. Good night's sleep. Thank you guys to whoever built that. Um, yeah, I did miss another good story. I think it was... Uh, Earlier that day, I actually met a nice old lady who was 77 years old. And I was looking at these side trails, and it's like training area for the Can Cross Ski Marathon. And uh, she's like, are you lost? And I said, no, I'm just wondering where I could go biking over there, if there's anything. She's like, well, I can tell you. And I, she's like, I come here all the time. And so we walked. Uh, I was riding beside her for a bit, and I felt that that might be rude. So I jumped off, and I just kind of walked with her for like, 40 minutes I think we probably walked and talked and just you know connections human connections sometimes really nice um, especially with somebody you might never see again and yeah we talked about her her life and her husband and her kids and the area and how much she loves it and we talked about Chelsea and actually her son lives here in Chelsea somewhere and um, yeah it was just a great conversation and you know then it was time for her to get in her car and carry on home and it was time for me to keep pedaling and um, yeah a really nice little detour to a, to a, to the day you know but anyways that was day three we're on to day four um, getting up the snow once again was really crisp till about 10 a.m. but it was much chunkier especially as like you're getting south towards a lot of the towns and what I found, and this is just probably something that's good advice or good knowledge for everybody, is when you're around the towns, I'd say those first two kilometers in any direction on the rail trail, a lot of people walk it just to go take pictures and then turn around and come back. But after the day, the previous day's warm weather, 
they had basically just post hold, not really badly, but like let's say they made like two three inch divots with every footstep in the slush. Well, when that froze overnight, yeah, you had some crisp. No, I wouldn't say two three inches, probably one inch, but you know, makes a big difference. Uh, it got crispy overnight and stuff, but the next morning it was just like a rough fast ride you know so it was hard work it was rough it was bouncing you a lot so you're really working to pick your roots and your lines and try to find the the easiest section of the the groom trail to ride on um and of course after 10 o'clock it started getting soft and stuff i think by then i had stopped for breakfast that's what happened so i left the i left the relay and i cycled for about 16 kilometers or so until I reached Prevost, Prevost. And there's a place called Cabane de Genet, so the breakfast cabin. And I had a breakfast putzin, which if you don't know, is putzin is a super amazing Quebec meal of like home fries, curd cheese and gravy. But the breakfast putzin, it might even outdo putzin, you know, because it's Home fries, curd cheese. They had sausage pieces in there. They had bacon in there. Uh, there was hollandaise sauce instead of gravy, and then an egg. And it's pretty awesome. Like you can get that in a few, like most breakfast places in Quebec. And of course, I've had uh, unlimited coffee, so I probably had four or five cups of coffee. And then finally got back on the trail, and it was post ten o'clock, and the snow was soft and. I had 13 more kilometers to ride to get to St. Jerome where I could celebrate reaching kilometer zero all by myself, kind of jumping up and down in a city town square where nobody is. Uh, no, I wasn't really jumping. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was, once again, very anticlimactic reaching there and it's like middle of winter and dead. Um. Yeah, and leaving there, you know, it was a lot more of the same. So I had to, I rode down to, I could get about three kilometers further before I had to turn off and make my way to the highway and then follow the highway for about seven kilometers until I got St. Javier. And then I could cruise uh, along the side of the railway, railway again on those paths. But they had a lot more ice this time, which was super fun because you could, when you have studded tires, you can pull some wicked skids. And those studs just bite in, and it's super fun. I'm probably super childish and dumb, but trying to go as fast as you can just so you can hammer on the brakes, but <laughs> pretty fun. Anyways, um, got back to my cousin's. She was at work. Her her husband was home. We chatted for a bit, and I got ready, and I went home. That was it. That was uh, that was the end. Um, ultimately, my thoughts on this whole trip, well, first one was put pogies on, Um just keep your hands dry in the inevitable wet snow rain type event or if it got really cold but in this case it didn't um but i mean in general on the petit trains and all i think this was really a perfect four-day getaway um i particularly liked riding the snowmobile section as well um in some ways regret not doing it coming back but at the same time i did want to explore the alternatives um, it was really nice to just not have to think about school or work. Uh, it was a it was a short break from my wife, child, sister in law, mother in law, dog. You know, we have a busy household here, but 
not that I needed a break from all of that. It's just it was nice to to get a, to go do something and just be able to decompress and just ride your bike and not need to think about any one thing in particular, you know. Um, and it's a really, really great route to travel on. Um, it has every amenity you could possibly need, whether whether you're planning to be out there just for a couple of days, weekend, or an entire week, you know. And on that note, that's why, you know, when I when I created the Canadian Shield bikepacking route, I incorporated some of this rail trail, this very historic rail trail, into the route because it goes through a lot of like key towns and beautiful places. So, yeah, do explore. Highly recommend. Highly, highly, highly. If you have a chance next winter to get out there and ride part of the petit trains and all, I would highly recommend it. Super fun. And uh, <laughs> that's it. Only 46 minutes. It's like a whole podcast. Holy shit. Um, on that note, guys, you're going to love the next podcast episode. Stay tuned. I'm not going to spoil it. You will see. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated and keep on pedaling.